A young perspective on hot button issues around the world. This is the Hub. Hello and welcome to the Hub. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. People have been talking a lot about a great detente in the Middle East, but we should not forget that some countries in the region are still at war. For example, Yemen. The country has been in a civil war since at least 2014. Now, Hans Grunberg is the United Nations Special Envoy for Yemen. Can a permanent ceasefire be brokered in Yemen for Yemen? Here's my conversation with Hans Grunberg. Special Envoy Grunberg, thank you for doing this. Welcome to CGTN. Thank you so much.、Uh, you have a very important mission. You were in Yemen recently. Tell us what did you see? What did you hear on the ground? How has the United Nations brokered ceasefire hold up there? Well, I think the the first thing one can say is that、uh, development in Yemen,、uh, from a more humanitarian and also economic point of view, remains dire and、uh, remains uh, difficult. And,、uh, and Yemen will no doubt be in need of of support from the international community、uh, in the period ahead. And that that goes without saying. However, as you alluded to, the、uh, latest year we've seen some positive development on the political and also on the military front,、uh, on the military side. We have seen a truce that was brokered a bit、uh, more than a year ago through the work of myself and my office, and that has largely been holding up until today. And we now have an opportunity where we also can, if we. Play our cards right, and, and all participate in a constructive manner. We can also take the next step, which would be seek an agreement、uh, from the parties for a, a more concerted uh, uh, truce and, and、uh, steps towards political process and, and a nationwide ceasefire. And this is an opportunity that I think we, the Yemenis and the international community, should should take moving forward. It is a very complex and complicated situation there.、Uh, a lot is at stake, but there are so many parties, stakeholders involved. There are warring parties within、uh, Yemen. How do you foresee a virtuous cycle to kickstart and to be introduced in the country? As I mentioned, there has been a development lately where we have seen steps taken that shows the Yemenis that they can achieve results if they do come into an agreement with one another. The truce is a first case in point of that, but we've also seen other agreements which have delivered results. We've seen a release of prisoners just before the Eid celebrations, which I think was was a tremendous achievement and also a tremendous achievement from the parties themselves. Themselves to 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 show the the Yemeni population that they can agree and that that diplomacy is possible. So so here the, this uh, the uh, efforts of the United Nations on on、uh, finding a sustainable solution to the conflict will continue, and I do hope that that on with this in in the uh, in our uh, as a, the, these latest results that we will be able to to move forward and and、uh, find real real concrete、uh, solutions to the.、Uh, To the conflict, you talk about sustainable and concrete solutions there through talking to different parties within Yemen.、Mm. Is it your sense that a, a permanent ceasefire could be within reach in the foreseeable future? 
I, I do believe that that is possible, uh, but I don't. Uh, I will not want to say that it's uh, that it's e is going to be easy. It uh, still requires uh, compromises uh, to be uh, to be made from the parties in order to reach that level of agreement. We're in a position right now where there is uh, ongoing discussions taking place on different levels in support of the United Nations mediation efforts. And uh, what I do want to see here is all these efforts to to forge into a situation where I feel that I can present a proposal to the parties which they also can agree to and which will which will then allow uh, negotiations for for a permanent ceasefire to take place and and the, uh, so so I do believe uh, that it is possible but uh, but absolutely not easy you're not going to say uh, within what fr the time frame there could be a permanent ceasefire uh, we'll also want to be humble in terms of the uh, what the future may give, but but uh, the what I do what I can say is that the United Nations and myself will spare no efforts in trying to reach that point as as, as soon as possible. Right, but Hans, if you think about it, there are so many pieces to this puzzle. Right, there's a, a government in exile basically in Saudi Arabia, and the Houthis, the Houthi militants, are controlling much of the country, including the capital, for the longest time. And then there's this Southern Transitional Council that is uh, claiming a territory of its own. Um, what could a peace deal, a future government, look like, in your opinion? So first, I do believe that the, the government has uh, is located uh, in Aden and, and is not uh, considered to be in exile. But, but as you mentioned, uh, the, the rest of your analysis is absolutely correct. It is a complicated situation which has been going on for, for the last uh, seven years. Uh, when it comes to my, my first priority is to ensure that we uh, come to a situation where the parties agree to, to enter into a political process. That means that the parties need to agree in agree on a on a uh, on a structured approach to resolving their differences through negotiation. Power sharing. That will obviously be part of the negotiations that will uh, will take place. If but here it's important that I don't also foresee any of the solutions that you want me to talk about, because that is uh, for the parties themselves to to define through negotiations. What do you think the recent detente and rapprochement between Saudi Arabia and Iran, what kind of impact will that rapprochement have on the current situation in Yemen? Because we know that the two rivals, uh, the Saudis and the Iranians, have supported, or at least allegedly, uh, opposing sides in Yemen. As I mentioned to the uh, Security Council a couple of months back, uh, I, I welcomed uh, the announcement that uh, was made from here, from, from Beijing, uh, in uh, the uh, agreement between Iran and Saudi Arabia to resume diplomatic relations. And, and here, this welcoming is based on the fact that I I am a firm believer that, that for Yemen's sake, uh, good and strong and well healthy channels of communication between all Yemen's neighbors are necessary if you, you want to, to support uh, Yemen to come out of the current challenges. Here I believe that, that uh, a, uh, this agreement, the renewal of diplomatic relations between Iran and Saudi Arabia can definitely help and support the development in Yemen. Uh, but as uh, we talked about earlier, the situation is so complex and, and uh, that it cannot just be limited to the overall relation between Iran and Saudi Arabia. And, and therefore, I believe that, that it can help, but it will not resolve the situation uh, completely. That resolution of the conflict is in the hands of the Yemenis in the end. And what role do you think China can play and is playing through your talks 
with the Chinese diplomats and relevant officials. I consider myself rather lucky in the situation that I am in because I, I feel that through during the last almost two years that I've been uh, in my tenure, I've enjoyed uh, considerable support from the broad international community, but also from the, the world's uh, great powers, including from China, but also from from uh, from the United States and and the other member the uh, and Russia and the other permanent members of the uh, Security Council. Here, I believe that there is a unity, a unified approach from the international community in wanting to see the, the, the conflict in Yemen being resolved. When it comes to China's approach, I, I do believe that, that China, as one of the world's great powers, as a permanent member of the Security Council, can use that leverage to also ensure that, that we take the necessary steps and, and support the ongoing efforts uh, that, that I and the United Nations are doing. And this is, these, uh, this is what I am engaging on together with the Chinese officials here in Beijing and, uh, and, uh, and uh, looking forward to, to uh, concrete outcome out of uh, these exchanges. What can you disclose to us about your negotiations with your Chinese counterpart? with regard to finding a solution to an end the conflict in Yemen? The, the discussions that I am having here are, are part of an ongoing effort that I'm doing in trying to make sure that the, the unified support that I get from the international community is, is, uh, remains as strong as possible. And there the, it's important for me to, to explain to uh, interlocutors such as China about how I uh, read the situation, where I think uh, the efforts, the ongoing efforts should be focusing on and make sure that I do also get support from that approach, from uh, the interlocutors that I have. Uh, and that uh, if I do feel that I have that level of support from China, uh, from, and, but also from others, uh, from the United States and from all the other members of the Security Council, I also feel strengthened in the, the possibility of delivering results. So that's, that's basically the, the core of the exchange that I have here in Beijing. Is it your sense that um, somehow the different stakeholders have come closer in the course of the past year, especially in the course of the past few months, if you think about the fact that um, Syria is back to the Arab League, uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia have this great detente, and China's role is uh, widely anticipated within this region. Some call it uh, the area a great detente in the Middle East. Um, how do you feel about that? I always believe in humbleness. I believe that one should be uh, be welcoming positive development, uh, and one should consolidate that. And but one should also be careful in not making it, uh, rush too far ahead uh, in in your. Uh, analysis and your hopes uh, for the future, making sure that you 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 take uh, all the steps that you take are, are on solid ground. But I will agree with you that we've seen a development in in the region where I work that are uh, positive, and where we also see a situation where the countries in the region are willing to uh, to uh, solve their differences themselves, and that is encouraging. Uh, there, I do believe again coming back to the role of the United Nations and, and the broader international community that we have a responsibility in assisting them in, in solving uh, the, the differences that they have. And, and this is where I, I see uh, China's role as, as, a, as a positive one and, and uh, will want to, to make sure that, that the, the positive steps that we have seen so far can, can also be sustained. How do you see China coming into play when it comes to peacemaking? If you think about China's 
massive infrastructure programs such as the Belt and Road Initiative uh, in helping with development and infrastructure. China supported uh, Yemen by uh, building the uh, road that links the capital Sana'a with the port of Hodeida during the end of the 50s. And that road is, is a road that I have been traveling on and is, is today uh, an important line that uh, connects uh, the Red Sea with, uh, with the capital Sana'a. But, but obviously support doesn't necessarily need to, to be limited to, to infrastructure. It can also be broader than that. And, and there, uh, but, uh, but again, uh, a collective and a coordinated and a coherent support from the broad international community, I think, is what is going to be the most important uh, line forward. And finally, Hans, you've been in diplomacy for quite a while. Now you're representing the United Nations, of which China is a key member. Uh, how do you look at broadly China's role in the world if you think about uh, its many, many initiatives, from building a, co a community of common destiny to global security and peace? and security and civilizations initiatives. As a representative of the United Nations, I, I will uh, highlight the fact that, that this, um, the uh, Global Security Initiative, I think the, the point two of the Global Security Initiative, highlights the role of the United Nations and, and also points out China's uh, willingness to, to support the, the, the work that the United Nations are doing in terms of, of uh, uh, promoting uh, security and peace, uh, or promoting peace in, in the world. And, and that is something that I, I believe as, as uh, I welcome and, and something that I, I hope that, that uh, we can uh, also build upon. Special Envoy Hans Grunberg, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Focus, focus on what's relevant in China and the world. Bridge the, bridge the gap between what you know and what you want to know. This is The Hub. In the course of 10 years of development, the Belt and Road Initiative has become a mega-project that has ripple effects around the world. Recently, I had a very interesting conversation with Mr. Aksan Akbal, Minister of Planning, Development and Special Initiatives of Pakistan. We talk about China-Pakistan economic corridor and allegations from the West of BRI being debt trap. Some of his answers are quite remarkable. Minister Akbal, welcome back to China. Thank You've you. been here dozens of times. Welcome back. Uh, how do you like your trip so far? Well, China is like our second home, just as Pakistan is for Chinese their second home. Awesome. I had the pleasure of visiting your country in 2011. Um, I visited Guadal Port back then. It was in its nascency, in its, in, its inception stages. 2011 like looks like a previous century. You should come now. <laughs> <laughs> That's long ago. What is it like now? Well, it has changed very much. Uh, Gawadar has now developed in uh, infrastructure and its facilities is becoming now a, a modern port city. And we hope that in years to come, it will really become a very smart uh, port city and center of trade and commerce in the region. Uh, China is helping us develop Gawadar as a port city. Uh, we have now a free zone in which Chinese companies are investing. And we hope that there will be a lot of uh, activity there from that industrial zone. I heard that the eventual goal would be to make Gwadar a hub of commerce, trade and commercial activities, not just between China and Pakistan, but throughout the region and even the world. Well, Gwadar has a very strategic location. If you look at Pakistan, uh, west of Pakistan, there is Central Asia. All the Central Asian republics are landlocked and they look towards Gawadar as their gateway to the rest of the world. And with China-Pakistan Economic Corridor also terminating or starting at Gawadar, 
Uh, Gawadar becomes a natural extension uh, for CPAC, China Pakistan Economic Corridor extension to Middle East, to Africa, to Europe. And in future, uh, through Gawadar, the goods can be shipped to China in almost uh, less than one tenth the time and distance that takes goods to go from the South China Sea uh, by sea route. So that way, I think Gawadar is the port of the future. Talking about opposition to CPAC, uh, many media around the world have cast it as uh, portrayed it as a debt trap and as China's geopolitical and geoeconomic uh, ambition to control the world. Um, how do you see it? I think first of all, I would say that Belt and Road Initiative is a great vision of China and President Xi and it comes from the values of East. In East, we cherish the value of sharing. I think this is a remarkable uh, initiative where China, which has achieved remarkable success in last few decades, which has uplifted 800 million people out of poverty and today has given its people a very respectable quality of life is today heading or leading the march to be a developed country. China chose to share its success with other countries. China was not obligated to share its success because uh, China had not uh, done war with other countries where uh, if there was a Marshall Plan, it came out of the destruction of World War II. So China did not uh, wage any war against anyone. China did not owe anything to anyone that it must share its success with other countries. But as I said, it comes from the values that we have in East uh, or the China leadership, uh, President Xi, uh, I think out of his great uh, vision, uh, he had this idea that let this be a win-win for other countries also. If China is succeeding, we must share our success with, with other countries and we must share it as a community of shared prosperity and, uh, you know, uh, humanity. So that way, I think this is a great initiative. It has, ha it has helped many countries uh, get very critical investment, which it needed to plug the gaps in its socio-economic infrastructure, just as I mentioned in Pakistan. Now, there is this, you know, uh, perception which was built, it is a debt trap. I don't see it is a debt trap. I think it is a fact trap to distort uh, the true spirit of uh, BRI and the true dividends of BRI that people have uh, gotten. There is now even research by some uh, John Hopkins scholar, My alma mater. which uh, says that uh, uh, the uh, studies on Sri Lanka do not substantiate that the economic crisis in Sri Lanka had to do anything with Chinese port project or you know Chinese uh, loan or anything. So these are stories which are made to create negative perceptions uh, in a global geopolitics of competition. But I would say that wherever BRI has gone, the local people there can testify that it has had very positive impact. It has provided them much needed infrastructure, uh, which has been the backbone of their economic development. Minister, we've heard so much about CPAC and about the road initiative. Some reports highlight its achievements, singing praises. 
Uh, some reports highlight the underperforming or delayed projects. Can you give us a comprehensive assessment of where is CPAC now? Uh, CPAC started on 5th of July 2013 when Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif visited Beijing and an MOU was signed. And I had the honor and distinction of signing the MOU on Pakistan's behalf. It was a piece of paper, but within a very short span of time, both sides worked out a portfolio of $46 billion of projects to be carried out under CPAC. Uh, CPAC envisaged to first and foremost help Pakistan overcome its energy crisis. In 2013, we were facing a terrible energy crisis with 16 to 18 hours of power shortages. I experienced that when I was yeah, there. So uh, CPAC helped us put up more than 5,500 megawatts of energy. Similarly, through CPAC, we developed modern transport infrastructure, motorways, highways that has helped Pakistan develop a modern logistic base for trade and commerce and also to improve its competitiveness by making the movement of goods and services faster. Third, CPAC also helped us develop in a fiber optic cable from China that actually now forms an information highway between Pakistan and China and provides a backbone to our digital infrastructure. Third is industrial cooperation in which uh, now under CPAC we are envisaging development of several special economic zones and many Chinese companies are relocating to Pakistan because we have low cost of production. Uh, the cost of human resources much less than now what is in China or many other countries. And besides, Pakistan has fairly good trained human resource and a modern infrastructure to support business operations. So CPAC in last 10 years has really given Pakistan great opportunity in areas of energy, infrastructure, telecommunication, uh, industrial cooperation. And what I would say is that it has also helped Pakistan unlock some of its hidden treasures. For example, in Thar, Pakistan had a coal deposit uh, which is whose energy value is uh, almost equivalent to Iran and Saudi Arabia's oil. But we could not extract any value from this deposit because neither we had financing to do the mining nor we had the technology to produce energy. So through CPAC, we got very environment-friendly technology. We were able to do mining and put up power plants. Now this is the cheapest source of power for Pakistan for next 400 years. So it is such a big resource which was hidden, which was not utilized at all because there was no capital or technology to make it productive asset for the country. But CPAC made it happen for Pakistan. So in many ways, CPAC has been very transformational. It has created many jobs. It has had impact on people's lives. So we really appreciate leadership of China for extending a Belt and Road Initiative to Pakistan in shape of China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. For sure, um, a full of promises, uh, Minister, but as you understand, uh, there are challenges as well. According to CPAC's authorities, a website tracking the progress of all the projects that you have described, 
Um, there are different stages of progress going on. For example, in transport, six out of the 24 projects have been completed. Of course, many others are still being constructed. In energy sector, 12 out of 21 are done in Guadalajara port, four out of 14. Of course, given the scope of this project, it's only natural that some projects are still being reviewed, under construction. Uh, it may take a decade to build a road, and we all understand that. Um, how satisfied are you about the progress so far? Well, uh, under CPAC during 2013 to 2018, during our previous tenure of government, we saw unprecedented uh, progress. There was very fast uh, implementation of the projects. But in 2018, unfortunately, there was a political change in Pakistan in government. The new government did not own CPAC uh, as strongly and were very inexperienced. So they could not keep that momentum on CPAC. So we lost some time. But now since April when there is a new government in Pakistan, the same uh, party is back, which was there 2013-18 in power. Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif, who was previously Chief Minister of Punjab and very active supporter of CPAC, he is now personally supervising the progress and implementation of CPAC projects. I am also back in my role to uh, supervise CPEC projects. We are now working day and night to revive the same momentum and speed behind CPEC. Now CPEC, we must understand, is not a short-term or a medium-term project. It's a long-term project. It has three phases. The first phase was 2014 to 2020. That largely focused on infrastructure bottlenecks in Pakistan. The second phase, 2020 to 2025, uh, focuses on industrial cooperation, establishing linkages between private sector of two countries, business to business linkages, helping uh, industries to relocate to Pakistan and take advantage of this corridor. And third phase 25 to 2030 looks at the broader regional linkages, uh, expanding the scope of CPAC to Central Asia, to South Asia and linking China and other regions of the world. So that way it is much broader regional framework in its scope instead of just a bilateral program. And that is what President Xi also referred to when he addressed Parliament of Pakistan during his visit in 2015, that CPAC will benefit not just Pakistan, but the entire South Asia. Minister, um, any final thoughts on China-Pakistan relations going forward, finally? Well, I think China-Pakistan relations are now, as I told you, that we are celebrating decade of China-Pakistan economic corridor. And I think now the best path of this Pakistan-China relationship is it is being now transferred to the next generation. We have more than 25,000 students and a growing body of Pakistani students who are studying in Chinese universities and benefiting from the progress that China has made in higher education. I think these young Pakistanis will be the true ambassadors of Pakistan-China friendship, and they will be the bridge for future to connect our society, to connect our businesses. And I hope likewise, more Chinese youth can visit Pakistan and go to our universities. We have more exchange programs because the spirit of Pakistan-China Iron Brotherhood must carry on from one generation to another generation. And that will do it for this edition of The Hub on CGTN. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. Our news coverage continues on CGTN. Bye and take care.